Hey, this is Eastlake BBA, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you. We hope this builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Very alcoholic. Gosh, I just love meditating. Um, I used to meditate for like 45 minutes at a time, and then uh, I have a condition now, and the condition doesn't allow me to meditate, but I do it anyways. I have this loud screaming in my ear. It's called tinnitus but I also have Meniere's disease, so it doesn't allow me, and it keeps me up at night. So um, I love meditating. Uh, You know, I do it anyways, because meditating helps me to sit with myself, which I could never do before. Um, It was very difficult to sit quietly with myself. Um, I had all the voices in my head all the time telling me, what to do and what not to do, who to do it to. (laughs) Uh, So we are starting on page 33, second paragraph, but what I'd like to do is read the sentence above that. Um, And it says, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. So that lurking notion, um, I'm having a lot of fun looking up words lately and meanings and um, relating them to what I'm reading in the big book. Uh, Lurking notion, it's that lingering persistence or unknowledged um, notion that we will be immune to alcohol. Um, So that unknowledge. So I know that knowledge cannot alone... um, stop me from a relapse. Um, I know that there is a spiritual connection uh, that I need to make uh, every day. Um, And that spiritual connection I make is through my uh, daily practice of um, step 11, prayer and meditation. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop as he did on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop and hardly one of them because of the peculiar peculiar mental twist already acquired. We'll find he can win out. So here it's telling me that there's this um, mental twist um, that I have that is telling me that, um, that I can win that I can beat this. And, uh, you know, we've already learned about some mental obsession that takes place. And um, so I know that, um, that my own thinking um, can take me back out if I'm not careful. So here the book will teach me how to um, identify with that. Um, So several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, have been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who have been drinking 20 years. And that was me. I started drinking um, when I was in my 40s. And uh, it took me quickly, and it'll tell me later why. Um, It took me really quick. Uh, So I hadn't been drinking for many years like most of you have. 
To be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities some of us have. This is particularly true for women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Um, why that happens, maybe it's just the way women are built, you know. Um, but, you know, I thought, really thought I can drink men under the table. Um, I had a, a bar and a nightclub, so I really did try my best, and sometimes I won. Um, so here it says potential. So this potential is in this, more about alcoholism, four times. So it's having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. And then I thought about early in the book the definition of augury. Augury is a prediction. It's like an omen, like a sign, right? So here we are. We're potential alcoholics, like without even knowing. And that, for me, that was like the first sign, you know. Um, but who would ever think, right? Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptom, symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try and get them to see it. Uh, when I, wa I wasn't even young when I was drinking. Um, I was a very young mom, young age, like 17. And by the time I was 19, I had two kids. So um, I was, I, you know, my mom said, you know, that's it, your life is over. You know, you're, you're a mom, you take care of your kids. And uh, so I didn't drink, I didn't, you know, do drugs. I raised my kids. By the time I was 25, 26, I had four. Um, so, and then I had a business too. So here I was an entrepreneur and raising kids at the same time. So drinking was not in the picture. You know, I was, I was an, I was a workaholic, um, not an alcoholic. Uh, so it, for me, it, it didn't start young, but you know, I, I see that because my kids grew up in the industry that, um, they started young, um, and I can't label them alcoholics. Um, you know, I just know that they know that their mom is sober and if anything, they can come to me um, when need to. Um, and I don't um, tell them to stop or they're drinking too much or anything like that. Um, as we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making the resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. Uh, so that was me. Um, since it happened really quickly, um, I would say that I would you know, stop drinking. But I really do believe that the industry that I was in, um, it was difficult to stop. Um, everybody around me, the people, I hung around with those people. I, I hung around with like-minded people, you know? Everybody, want, everybody wanted to party and get high. And, uh, and I think um, because I did have, you know, um, the bar, I think, you know, I thought I was all that, 
you know, my ego. I didn't even know what that word meant, ego. Um, I didn't think I had it. You know, I just knew that I was popular. Um, that was it. And, um, and I wanted everybody to be happy. I wanted to see everybody happy and having fun. Um, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop, whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis. Depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. So early on in the book, we learned that we lost power, we lost choice. Um, and I really didn't understand that. Um, and I heard somebody in one of our meetings say, I'm really so happy that I learned about this disease, about the, you know, the um, mental obsession about the, um, the allergy, because now I know it's not my fault. And that hit me. That hit me like a ton of bricks, because um, I think the shame and the guilt uh, that I experienced over all my drinking, some of the things that I did, you know, had me out there um, trying really hard to stop. And um, so, you know, I felt really, really lifted when he said that. And this was just recently. So that, um, that touched me um, in a way, uh, even though I knew it, but it was just the way he said it. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Um, it didn't matter, so the other day uh, in our meeting, uh, we, we were discussing um, uh, our step one, and um, you know, I was just discussing how I had a friend I used to call and with the gun to my head saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm done, I don't wanna do this anymore. And, um, and it was almost like nothing. Like I would say it over and over again, I would talk about this incident, but this time I said it, um, I thought, wow, I never had him on my amends list. I never apologized to him. He's like a brother to me. And I never apologized to him. Um, so I, I called him and, um, I made amends to him and, uh, you know, um, you know, he said he would have done anything for me. Uh, but it felt, I, I felt lifted and, you know, and he accepted it. Um, and his mother was dying. So we got to talk a little bit. Um, and, uh, it was just really great to, um, in this program, it's like that. It's like, you know, you think that, you know, all your men's are done, right? And I, 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 I know that this is the beauty of the program is that, you know, for me, it just seems like this happens when it's supposed to happen at the right time, you know? Not my time. Like, these, this stuff stays buried, you know? I bury that shit. It's like, I wanna forget, you know, but Somehow, when you work the program, um, you know, the program just works you and you intuitively know what the next right step is to do. Um, how then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction with it, whether they are one of us? 
the experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. Matter of fact, up here at the top, there was an asterisk and it was, but try and get them to see it. So the asterisk, it says here, true when this book was first published, when it says, you know, try to get the young people to see it. Um, true when this book was first published, but a 2014 US Canada membership survey showed about 12% of AAs were 30 and under. So that was 2014. So I guess that might be a little bit higher these days. All right. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. For obviously this is a cru cru crux of the problem. So crux meaning most important point of the issue. Um, and you know, I'm really sorry because I did not pray. I did not say our set-aside prayer. I'm gonna say that, I'm, I'm gonna say it right now, guys. God help me set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience. Help me see the truth about my mental obsession before I start to drink. So, um, So it's funny because I heard um, a young person say that um, he went back out, but it was for a day. And he said, I didn't relapse. He said, I just had a lapse. And I'm like, wow, I wonder where you heard that from. I bet he really believed that in his head, you know, that, um, that he was okay and he didn't have to set his time back or whatever. You know, that was definitely his thinking and I thought, wow, you know, if I thought like that, um, I wouldn't be here today. I really don't think that I would be alive today. Um, so the, the book clearly lets us know that um, we, um, we stay abstinence uh, from drinking. Um, that's the only way. And, uh, you know, this whole spiritual... Um, um, the spirituality of the program, um, you don't really have to have a God that the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous can be that, can be that spirituality for you um, until you find it. Um, and I love that about our program uh, because I learned so much about different kinds of spiritualities. But um, so it says here, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink. So that really has me thinking like, you know, cause this is a question here, right? Um, the real alcoholic. For me, I definitely knew that, um, you know, I don't know what it was, is if I was, what, I w what was happening to me at that time. And I was driven by a hundred forms of fear. Um, and at that time, I didn't know it. So um, the drink was that for me. You know, it was very temporary, but it, um, it dominated me. And it really helped me to forget just for a short period of time. And then I was right back again, you know. Um, thanks. Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of course, or of what is he thinking? Um, so I think I talked about that a few times about having a mental blank spot, being in a, 
um, a winery and with some friends, my, my, my family. And um, the waitress came around and said, you know, who wants red or white? I had two years in, and I said, I'll take red. Um, so I really do believe that, um, you know, the time will come. Luckily, you know, I wasn't as spiritually fit, um, practicing, you know, uh, the spiritual disciplines. But honestly, I really don't think, I don't know what that mental blank spot is, you know, for some of us. But for me, I knew when I said it, I didn't know why I said it. But and if I wasn't with people who were, you know, knew I was in recovery, um, I probably would have taken that, that drink. Um, so it says here, friends who have reasoned with him after spree. Okay, we've read that. Our first example is a friend, we shall call him Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable world war record. He's a good salesman, everybody likes him. He is an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. He did no drinking until he's 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic in a, in a serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family for whom he had a deep affection. So here it says he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. The book tells us um, that uh, you know the spiritual life, there's so many ways, but the way that I learned was through this book, um, page 84, starting with, you know, step 10 and going all the way to the, to page 89. Um, that's how I learned my spiritual disciplines in the morning um, and at night, my step 10. Um, in the morning, I wake up upon awakening and I would do it and I would do it. And sometimes I wouldn't even think about, you know, you know, why I'm doing it. I just did it. So, um, if you're new and you're wondering, you know, you know how we how we're doing this one day at a time, you know, have somebody take you through the book, um, learn about the spiritual disciplines needed to uh, recover from a hopeless state of mind and body, and um, and uh, you know, hopefully for just this one day, you know, one day at a time that we, you know, uh, stay sober together because this is also a program that we don't do this alone. Um, and that's what helped me, you know, being in the meetings and knowing that, you know, I wanted what everyone else had. Um, and I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to get sober, you know. Uh, but I learned. I learned from every single person who had a story that I can relate to, you know. And I learned by speaking. Um, I was an introvert somewhat. I was only comfortable when I was drinking, you know. I only had that courage when I was drinking. So, um, so this is a whole new way of life for me. Um, and uh, that's why I do this because it's saving my life. Even still, after so many years, you know, I find myself in situations that you know, I feel like I can't handle. And all I have to do is just pick up the phone, 
continue to go to meetings. Um, and uh, you all teach me how to walk, you know, um, through this, I don't know, living life on life's terms. With that, thank you so much for being here, each and every one of you. I love you. All right. Thank you. Uh, how's it going, everybody? Good night. My name is Jesus. I'm a drug addict. Thank you for your share. It was amazing, honestly. Um, I was sitting there listening, and uh, it really got me thinking, you know, I mean, the the way that some people portray themselves or the way that some people feel about themselves and the, the guilt that some of us can be able to carry, the guilt that I've carried through myself, through my addiction, and to come out and find later on that, you know, I mean, I never asked to be born with this disease, you know, it's just not my fault, you know, it just so happens that I have an addictive personality and that I just like to get messed up, you know, and just to try to forget all the messed up stuff that's already happened to me, you know. Um, aside from that, like, Today, it was a really good day, you know, I mean, I met up with my friend, he's a really good friend, you know, we've known each other for a long time now, um, well, not that long, you know, but still, for, for us, it feels like forever, you know, because we lived with each other for a long time, so, it's amazing, you know, like, what, what your higher power could do for you, you know, and, and I think that today was very well needed, you know, for the both of us, if anything, you know, um, There, there's people that you could depend on in this program, and he's definitely one of the people that I could depend on in this program, you know, if anything I need, you know, and and that's really good to know that, to know that I'm not alone anymore, you know, and, and that's a good thing because when I was in my active addiction, all I was was alone, and the thing is, is, it sucks because you're alone and you're surrounded by all these people that say that you're, you know, that say that they're your friend, you know, but... As soon as you're like hungry and you're like, oh, well, you know, figure it out, you know, keep on starving, you know, and it's like, damn, you know, like, I thought you were the homie, you know, like, I thought you could help me, you know, but it's like, nah, man, if you don't got drugs, we're not kicking it, you know, so today is, it was just like a really reflective day for me. It was a really good reflective day for me to, to really realize what position I'm in to help other people out and what position other people are, are in to help me out also, you know, because if I'm not in a position to, to help others and I'm in the position to need the help that has been given to me and, and I'm not afraid to ask for the help anymore, you know, because I know I can't do it on my own. I know I can't do it on my own. I'm not going to act like I can either, you know. Because I'm a mess. Let's just be honest, you know. I'm a mess. I have to be honest with myself, if anything, you know. And I've been trying to do it by myself for so long, and I'm just tired, you know. If you, don't, if you can't help yourself, you're not going to be able to help anybody, you know. But that doesn't mean that you have to try to figure it out all on your own either, you know. There's, there's always good mentors, people that have been there, people that have done that. And they try to tell you over and over again, like, I've been there, I've done that, don't do it. You're going you're gonna to mess up. I didn't listen to those people. That's why I overdosed three times, you know? So it's like, what am I really doing with my life, you know? 
Now I'm taking the advice that has been given to me for all this time. And I'm grateful that I have gone through everything that I have gone through because now I, I appreciate everything more. Now I appreciate the things that have been given to me, you know, because now it's like I feel like I've earned them in a way. I don't know if that's like the way, like I'm making sense to myself and that's what matters, <laughs> you know, like I, I earned what I, what I have right now, you know, and it's not easy. It isn't easy, you know. The, the one thing that they never told, I thought recovery was going to be easy because I saw all these people in here and they look all happy and I'm like, damn, how'd you do it, you know? Like, and they're like, oh man, if you only knew how many nights I stayed up crying in the middle of the night, thinking about using, having dreams and just saying like, F it, you know, just uh, let me go use again, you know? But no, it's hard. There will be those nights where you're crying by yourself. There will be those nights where you have to cry and call your sponsor and, and call your friends that you need because they will be there because they know what it's like, you know? And I'm just glad to, to know that I have you guys in this meeting. And I'm glad to know that I have my friend that I've been, been through hell and back, you know? I'm, I'm very glad that these opportunities, I'm taking them now. I'm not just letting them slide by because I've been sitting on the sideline for too long. Now it's time to take action, you know? Just like in chapter six, it says take it into action, you know? So um, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, brother. Everybody, my name is Greg. I'm a recovered addict. Um, love BBA, by the way. Um, I got here when I was 36 and I'm 69. Wow. And, um, and I found BBA about 12 years ago. And, um, but I thank you for what a, you know, I love the sincerity when people in the BBA share their experience, strength, and hope. Um, it's because there's just so many good things about this. But yeah, I, like I said, I, get, I got here at 36. So the young people, um, you know, that really appeals to me because I work with a lot of people that, um, that are coming into the program. I try and help them usher them into AA. And, uh, but um, when you first started reading, if we we're planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday he will be immune to alcohol. When I landed in treatment, you know, it was my first time. I didn't know any, any idea it was a disease. I just checked myself in. And uh, when I was there, you know, and it's going back, I was naive about this. But I mean, when I was there for like a week and I started meeting people and starting to see the benefits of, you know, what they were talking about, I had people sneak me booze in to up, you know, up in the up parking lot and I'd go get it, right? And, you know, and I really didn't think that was wrong. I, you know, I was like, so then when they finally, because someone snitched me off, right? He snitched me off because, you know, in treatment, they're like, you need to tell on people, so, you know. And I'd go, hey, man, it was only alcohol, you know what I mean? So I didn't have a clue. You know, so now when I see young people come in that can start reading the book and start relating to it, they have a chance, you know, that they can maybe stop before that, you know. But it takes what it takes. But the reason I talk about being a, um, you know, drug addict is I found the truth here about me because I w my drug of choice was drugs and it wasn't alcohol, but they really helped me. That's what I like about BBA. You can talk about drugs, right? So I found out what I wasn't, and I wasn't a moderate drinker and I was not a hard drinker. I wasn't a hard uh, drug addict, but I was, I was, uh, so I wasn't moderate and I wasn't a hard. 
and there was only one left. <laughs> and so I bought into that, that, okay, so now I need to have a spiritual awakening, you know, because I need power I didn't have any, you know. And when I found BBA, I was like getting really close um, to going back out on weed because I always minimize that the most. You know, when I quit alcohol I, and Coke and all this stuff, I quit weed and I knew weed would be the culprit to take me back to the old, the old thing. And so I was, you know, how my disease was sneaking up is, um, and I, you know, and when I found BBA also, they talked about the bedevilments, you know, problem with personal relationships, can't control your emotional nature, pray to misery and depression, you know, and when I got into that part of the book, I'm going, yeah, but I had to find where I fit, not where I didn't fit. And I was sitting there thinking, my, I was in a place where I was looking and I was noticing marijuana is legal now and I didn't think it was that bad and all of a sudden, so when I got into that, I was like, okay, you know, I'm seeing a psychiatrist now because I have depression, <laughs> you know, but I wasn't smoking pot or anything, but I was like, but I had to really search deep to find out what fit. And then I had to go from there, like the misery and depression. Well, I don't really feel that miserable because I give all these reasons why I'm not. That's my disease. But, I, but when I found BBA, I go, okay, I got to find out. Okay, why well, I actually, I'm seeing a psychiatrist. Oh, okay. And when I saw him, then I, you know, what I told him is, and I'll be real quick with this. I'm going a little too long. Is that I knew something was wrong. I, call, I couldn't put a note in the computer anymore. So I said, look, I'm, something's wrong here. So I call them and I go, look, you know, uh, I need to make an appointment because I always refer people. I don't go, <laughs> you know, and then when I went, I mean, this was, it was so bad. It was like, I go, I go, um, I go, doc, here's the deal. I go, all I know is, is that, you know, something's going on with me and, and I need help. And I go, but go ahead and give it to me. <laughs> he goes, you're depressed. I go, duh, you know what I mean? And so. But at that moment, I realized that I had been away from the program and the disease is coming back because I was noticing the weed and stuff. And so I'm one of the very fortunate ones because I didn't have to pick up. Most people, when they're that far gone that I've noticed, they, have, they just have to, it just goes into it, right? So I, I, when I found BBA, I was there like two and a half, three years meetings every week, going through the steps, went through four times, and I started taking people through. So, you know, because in, in the step one experience with um, more about alcoholism, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, you know, you know, switching from coke to meth, you know, drinking, um, you know, drinking, smoking just the best weed, all of that stuff was, you know, really profound to say, okay, Every thought I ever had is right here is not stopping this. You know, so that was what I really got out of that part of it, switching and all that stuff was that these are my thoughts and none of those were stopping what was going on. And so that's why I bought it. So then I did about three years sentenced to BB. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> did, I did three years and then I go, I'm going to get away from those people for a while. I'm going to go into regular AA and then, and then continue to work the 12 steps. When people ask me to work the steps, I go through the BBA exactly like they tell me to do it, and I try and completely stay on track. Is exactly the way it's done, you know. Not bringing in old AA, not bring any of that. Except to kill my problems today, I believe that. 
But I don't focus on that when I do the BVA work with people because I really want everybody to have a spiritual awakening and have the power. So BVA gave me that. Thanks. All right. Isaac, an alcoholic. Isaac. Um, all I have is my story, so if you already heard it, I'm sorry. Um, I... You know, I couldn't imagine life without alcohol. You know, the, the, to me, you know, being happy, right? The, 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 the vision of, you know, whatever it was I was focused on, right? The, the girl or the car or the house. Um, I was always drinking in that, in that, you know, the, the goal or mental picture, right? I couldn't imagine a world where I was happy without alcohol. Um, and so all of my, you know, the, the ambitions were, you know, one day I'm going to be up there on the hill getting drunk with my brother. Um, or, you know, the, the, I, I couldn't imagine life without alcohol. Um, and because of that, you know, the, it, it, the book talks about how it's, it's, we've lost the power of choice. And so for me, it was always like, um, obviously I'm choosing this because like, that's what I need to be happy, right? The, all of my, my life goals involve, you know, I'm going to work really hard and then I'm going to get drunk or I'm going to, I'm going to do this and do this and then, and then I'm going to get drunk. Um, and it was always kind of the, the, it's, it's my choice. Um, and there were periods of time when I would, wake up the next morning and say, you know, why do I drink? And, and say, okay, well, I'm going to stop. You know, I would, I would make promises to, to my significant other and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go for three months without drinking. And, and that would almost, that would, that would never happen. Right. I would, I could, I would put together like a month or, or six weeks and then I would go back and say, you know, well, I think I can do just beer, right, or just wine, um, and then, you know, that would never stick. And uh, people would say things like, you know, um, why are you breaking your promises, or why'd you lie to me? Um, and, you know, for me, it was like, I just, that's what I decided, right? I. I decided I, you know, I, I need to drink or I'm going to drink. And I always tried to frame it as kind of my choice. And that's one of the things I struggled with when I came in here is, is, you know, the, the I was just choosing it. Um, and I had to kind of the recognize that that kind of thinking was, uh, my alcoholism. Um, and I mean, what, uh, what a gift, you know, that, that, that I've been given in the program um, to not have to, to live that way anymore, right? That, that, to know kind of deep down that I must not drink, right? That, 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 that I'm, not, I'm not messing around with if it, I know that it's not going to, I, I don't look at it the way that I used to, right, as the solution to my problems and, the, and the, that, that obsession that's kind of the, I just need this and then, ah, <laughs> right? Um, it's, that's not, it, it, 
that it doesn't provide that kind of glowing light like ah i need the alcohol right um the, i know that it's it's not going to solve my problems and so that i can go through a lot of difficult things um that happened in my life and i don't uh i don't pick up a drink glad to be here thanks I'm Michael. I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. Uh, thanks, Mary. So many favorite parts in this book, and this is this is one of them. Um, we're in that mental obsession, and um, I, there, there's the test here of trying it out for a year, of just not drinking for a year, or not using for a year, and how do I think I'm going to win battle on my brain? 365 days <laughs> to not do what I desperately want to do in this place. Because, you know, I'm untreated. This is a test of me as an alcoholic, as a drug addict. See how much willpower and self-knowledge is, is going to get me. And then just to even consider that is pretty terrifying. <laughs> um, or, or straight fronting. Oh, yeah, no problem, no problem, no problem, right? Anybody, anything to get people off my back. So that's an interesting thing to consider. And uh, oof, that's a lot of headspace to see how I'd try to figure that out. I made it two weeks once. That was good, right? So you congratulate yourself and go get drunk. Um, young people may be encouraged. Anybody under 30 here? Anybody under 30? Well, you may be encouraged. A couple of you, David. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do remember this place of, of thinking, um, I can stop anytime I want to. I just don't want to, right? Yeah. What's the deal, right? I can stop anytime I want to. I just don't want to. Until that day came when I actually wanted to, and then it was, it was far too late. I had crossed that line. Um, and then, uh, then this gym guy. Everything, everything's going good for this guy. Uh, he's got a little bit of cash, a little bit of family, a little bit of good things going in his life, except for that nervous disposition. It reminds me of kind of maybe whatever might have been that spiritual malady going before I found drugs and alcohol. Just a little twitch in that guy. Like, Michael's a pretty decent guy, but he got a little twitch. Like, something's up with that guy, right? And one or two, or a little bit of this or a little bit of that, calm down that nervous disposition pretty quickly, right? No wonder I'd turn into a drug addict. Um, hey, they told him what they knew of alcoholism. I didn't believe it. You guys had a lot of nice, fancy talk and a lot of cool stuff to say, and it sounded relatable, but you don't know. I, I have to drink. I have to. You guys don't get it. I have to. Um, and, uh, and then Jim goes through this thing where he's going um, to have this obsession overtake him in, in a matter of, what, a couple hours? A couple hours? Uh, something doesn't go his way at work, um, but he denies that it's a problem, he splits, like, that's me, table flip and leave, right? But, you know, um, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to leave. And no intention of drinking. I'm just angry. You know, I'm just, I'm just angry. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to take care of my business. Screw you guys. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat because I'm a little bit hungry, you know. At a place I knew, I know they serve liquor. He mentions that they, he knows they serve there, right? Hmm. Um, the setup's already here. The mental obsession's already there before he gets there uh, suddenly. But it's a setup. His mind's already just waiting, yep. waiting. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind, 
that I could get away with it. I ordered a whiskey and I poured it in my milk because I thought I could get away with it. I vaguely sensed that I was not being too smart based on my own experience. I'm the only one there. Nobody's going to know, right? I vaguely sensed this ain't too good. But I still felt reassured because I thought I could get away with it. The experiment went so well, the police didn't come. Um, I ordered another one. That went so well, I ordered another one. A three whiskey uh, sandwich lunch, right? He's my kind of alcoholic, right? Thus started one more journey for Michael into the pit of despair, jail, asylum, detox, or a broken family. Many of us know where it goes after that, but I thought I could get away with it. Over and over again, I thought I could get away with it. Thank God I don't think I can get away with it anymore. Luis, alcoholic. Thank you, Mary. Um, I have experience working with young people, but first, uh, 2008, I bought myself two brand new cars. I was making a lot of money. 2009, I bought an engagement ring, and I did the deal just as I left for Vegas for our annual conference. 2010, uh, October, it was a um, conference. It was gonna, it was gonna be me and my bunch of my internet millionaire friends. We've been hanging out for years now, and it's my bachelor party. Uh, 30, 30 of us got picked up in a bus. It's supposed to be my mega night, but I, I did what I always did. I overheated the night before. And that day of my bachelor party, I was in so much fear of messing up because I've messed up so many times. So sober. I still had fun, but not at the level that, that I normally did because I was afraid of messing up. And, um, and, I, you know, and I loved my fiance, and I, the last thing I wanted to do was lose her to this. Um, and the reason I bring it up is because the first person I ever sponsored uh, was a young person. He was 24. He never asked me to sponsor him. I never asked him if, if we want to be a sponsor. We just got put together by someone dear in this program and said, you two need to work the steps. So we did. And we met every Sunday at his home. This young man had, had in 60 days of his life, right before he comes into these rooms, he had had so many consequences that I had had spread out over a career. He had them in 60 days. To any of us that have gone through steps, there is no doubt he was one of us. But it, it's up to every individual to go through this and decide for themselves. And so when we got to this homework assignment and he read this, if anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, because he had reservations, just like I had reservations when I first started this. I mean, I thought this was a cult, that you guys wanted my money, again, because money was my, you know, my idol. So I, under, I, I understood that part of what he was, these reservations. But when he read this and he straight looked me in the eye and he said, you know what? I can't admit complete defeat. And therefore, I want to do this, as it says. I want to try on my own for a year. 
man, it broke my heart because I was like, you know, and, you know, we would go to the, to the Monday night meeting in La Mesa. It was a real challenge to drive this young man to the meeting because, oh my God, like he had all these things going on up in his head and we always want to talk about, you know, all these dead people philosophers and it was just i needed a meeting after driving him home you know because it was like gymnastics so many of us loved this young man so many of us drove him wherever he needed and but you know he didn't make it he didn't make it a year he i mean from that moment like in february he died in november from this from this and um his parents thought he was doing the deal you know, and uh, because he would still go into meetings. And there was, you know, there was so much. And when he would show up, it was always, he had a way to bring the attention towards him because he was young, right? And I was like that too when I was young. I thought I knew everything. I had so much arrogance and, and you know, false courage and, you know, ego and all that stuff, you know, and we all tried you know, to, uh, to share our experience, strength, and hope with them to the last, to the last day. And so, um, you know, this program found in this book saved my life, changed my life. And when I first started doing these steps, I'll just wrap with this, I was doing them out of fear. And at some point, there was a shift, and I started doing it from a place of love. And it's, and it goes back to page 153, you know, and it's only been for the past few years where that shift happens. It takes time, but, you know, I'm just grateful to be here tonight to be able to share my experience, strength, and hope, and that's all I got. Thanks. Good evening. My name is Oliver, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Oliver. Thank you, Mary. That was very nice. And, um, you know, the only thing that I could think about right now, going, hearing all your stories, <clears throat> for me, it was, it was the same, but a little bit different. You know, alcohol and drugs truly served me. I never thought I had a problem because that's the only power that I knew. So how can you give up something that you know it gives you life? You know, for me, I never questioned that pill in the morning or that, you know, that drug because that's what kept me alive. It served me for a very long time. I made money with it, I had a family with it, I mean, I became successful with it. I mean, my life was working wonderfully. And it served me. So I never had to think about quitting or I'm doing this for a choice. I mean, of course it was my choice, but it gave me all the power that I needed all my life. You know, so when I, when I came here this last time, totally surrendered, man, because life kicked my ass. You know, it no longer serves me. I mean, what, what, the gift of desperation, what happens when what you're taking no longer serves you, right? And you keep on doing more and more and more and more, and it does not serve you. I mean, for me, it wasn't that it was serving me and I needed to quit doing it. It was that it stopped serving me, but I couldn't stop doing it. So I come here to, to AA truly desperate, man. And I had to ask myself, why do I use? I mean. Why do I use, why do I want to stay sober? Why do I want to go through all this shit and stay sober, right? When I know a pill can fix it, when I know a drink can fix it, because that no longer served me. That's how selfish I am. 
I didn't care about my kids. I didn't care about anybody because he was serving me. As long as it's good for me, I don't care about you. If I'm okay, the consequences of life, I can care less. I lost all my money that way. I lost two marriages that way. I are my kids that way. Always think about me, 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 me. You know, one thing that, it, well, while you were reading, it says he was irritated. He was angry. And then he went to the bar and it's a cup up. So what is it that I, that I, why do I use? I use because that's the only thing that gives me power. That's the only thing that makes me feel alive. That's the only thing that makes me feel a part of you. Without it, I just, I feel like a zombie. But when that stopped working, when the power is gone, and you truly, when I truly saw myself that I had absolutely no power, then I had to really go into the spirituality. That's what BBA gave me, man. That's, what, that's why I keep on coming back to these meetings, you know, because you hear a lot of the powerlessness of the addiction and, and the substance in regular AA, but you hear very little of the spirituality. And that's what I come here to treat every day because I can relapse in a moment. Why? Because I am angry or because I am lonely or because I am too successful or because I am not as successful or because I am depressed. Because that's why I used. I used for me to survive. It was everything. You know, life's always scary as hell. Every year it gets better, but it's really scary to look at yourself every day and to be conscious. To make your decisions, to have a choice. But a conscious choice. Living in the truth. Which for me was very hard. The truth always terrified me. That's why I used and drugs worked for me for a long time, man. For a long, long time. I stopped drinking when I was 21 years old. And I relapsed at 30 or so. And I didn't, uh, didn't stop using until I was 47. So I did a lot of my life under the influence. Until it didn't work anymore. And then true hell happened in my life. So this time around, I have to ask myself every day, how much power do you currently have in your life? And every morning I have to make a decision. This is the only power that I know I have every day. To give all my life to God or to keep on trying it my way. That's it. Because that right there makes the difference. When I totally surrender, when I totally understand that I cannot do it on my own, that I need you guys, that I need service, that I need the meetings, that I need the meditation, that I need the prayer, that I need all that bullshit that we have to do every day. My life is wonderful, man. <laughs> I feel God, I walk on, I mean, shit, I'm on the pink cloud. But the moment that I think that I have a choice, in that regard, not, not the choices of life, do I spend money here or there, but that morning, if I decide to do it alone, to go on my own, that's when I, I live in hell again. That's when my, the, the, the bedevilments come back. The, Depression comes back, the stinking thinking comes back, the, the ego comes back. So it's the treatment of that spiritual malady that I have to attack every day in order for me not to relapse. Because I think that everybody that relapses is a cop-out. I truly believe that. This guy got in his car, he was angry already. He was working for a, for a business that he already owned. Imagine the fucking self-pity. I mean, I own this place, man. I have to work for this idiot, man. And he's telling me about my quota. What's up with the sales? I better go to a bar. So what did he want to treat? His spirituality. That's what I have to be so aware of every day.
so can fall back into that so easily. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My Hi. name is my name is David, and I am an alcoholic. And thank God for this program. God damn. I'm, I'm sitting down over there, and I'm laughing at my disease. Thank you, Mary, for waking me up again. You know, you, you, you said one thing that it hit me right away. Uh, when they offering you red or, or white, you know? So I was so, sober for 12 and almost 13 years. And they offered me a job in a uh, lake arrowhead, you know, like an executive chef. So I, of course, I took the, the job, you know. And uh, uh, in the beginning, you know, the managers, uh, uh, they didn't know that I was an alcoholic. So, so uh, I used to tell them that I didn't drink, you know. But one day we were celebrating in the terrace in the hotel. This is the only hotel that was there looking at the lake arrowhead. And the same thing exactly happens to me. So we were sitting down, you know, all the, all the executives and the managers and the staff. And there's the waitress coming in with the bottles of wine and blah, blah, blah. And they asked me, white or red? Mm. Okay? So I said red because... White is for chickens, <laughs> you know? That's what happens to my mind, okay? And I look at this beautiful view and everything, it's gorgeous. So I was hesitating to give the first drink, you know, the first sip. So when I give them the first sip, I said, my gosh, you know, I'm again in power. And with this, I'm in the executive chef of the Lake Arrowhead. My goodness. Where can you ask for, it, for any more than that? But immediately, from that moment on, my mind was never the same. Never the same again. You know? And I still, you know, I stopped drinking for weeks at a time, but I begin to drink again. Little by little by little by little. And I knew I was not the same. I knew that something was going to happen to me. But could I stop? No. Why? Because the spirit of evil got into me again. Whiskey, scotch, cheap vodka, got into myself again. And I still denied myself. I said, no, you, you can't stop. It's not a problem. Sure enough, one more week without a booze again. See, I can. And in this, at that time, they sold the hotel for uh, the Hyatt or whatever the case might be, and they let us go. And that was the excuse, like somebody was saying, or oh, another cycle of hell, sleepless nights, depression, you're good for nothing. You know, and that was the start of another three years of living every single day with that stuff in my mind. Every single day, day and night. I was able to operate, and, you know, but, uh, but my mind was never, never, never in peace. You know, the mind of an alcoholic like me 
It's just crazy. One day I was so drunk that I fall, you know, on one of the walkings, and I could not get up. I could not get up, so I was screaming and yelling, and it's not, and, and, and downstairs, so you can't, nobody can hear you. You know, and I could not get up. I was so drunk, I could not get up. So anyway, thank you, sir. So, so, so anyway, somebody opened up the door, thank God, and they got me, and I started that I fall, and these cities did not, did not, well, I don't know if they knew that I was drinking, I was drunk or not, but they, they didn't know. So I, I, I pretend that I hurt myself, or maybe I did hurt myself or not. So anyway, my wife came, my father-in-law came, and everybody came and brought me to the hospital. So anyway, they get all the blood shit and blah, 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 and the doctor asked me in front of my wife if I was drinking. And I said, no. And the doctor immediately told, my, told me, look, this is the point, something shit that you have, you were three times the cut and limit. And you're still denying it. This is the mind of not a normal person. This is a sick person here. Thank God for this program. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe at eastlakebba.com. You can also help us reach others by spreading the word about our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the East Lake Big Book Awakening Podcast.